St. John's is one of the legendary names in all of college basketball. Has it fallen on tough times? Yes, it has. But now we're ready to, to fall on great times. We're ready to raise it up, raise this roof up, because St. John's is going to be back, I guarantee it. Everybody is off the floor, but had no time left. One free throw will win it, and stunned it. The senior wins it. You are now listening to the Eye of the Storm Podcast. What's going on, Johnny Nation? Welcome to episode 93 of the Eye of the Storm Podcast. My name is David Barov, and St. John's has lost for the sixth time in eight chances falling in a very similar fashion as they have all year, losing 86 to 75 to Marquette on the road. They had a 15-point lead in the first half. Threes were raining down, and this was heading towards being the first signature road win for St. John's. Then Tyler Kolick took over, and while Joel Soriano and Jordan Dingle did not show up, St. John's horrendous defense that has plagued them all season certainly did. St. John's falls to 14-10 and 10 on the season, and what has been a disappointing season has us continuously asking the same questions. Where is the defense? When will things turn the corner? And can this team possibly get themselves to the finish line that is March Madness continuing to play this poorly? I think the questions are valid. I think St. John's fans who are skeptical right now and are frustrated, I think they're all valid. But this team has shown over and over and over again that it cannot close games and it collapses in the second half over and over. It is frustrating beyond belief. So many almost wins and second half collapses, resulting in losses. My co-host Frank Mofetta is here. Frank, you deleted Twitter after the game in frustration. Your thoughts? Absolute deflation once again. I mean, this this was it right here. I mean, you, you know, the, the season's far from over, sure. This was the marquee win that we needed to stamp our resume. This was another 2-1-A win at that. That would have burnished the resume and it was right there for the taking. Uh, you know, the first half, you were sitting there going, oh, my God, that DePaul game got us right. It was actually a get-right game we needed when it looked like we turned a corner. And this was the team we were expecting to see all season. Some shooting, some offense, and and really good defense on the other end, um, you know, holding a really good offensive team and, and taking a nine-point lead into halftime. And they only, only was that close at halftime because – uh, Kolek made that ridiculous fadeaway three at the buzzer. So the first half, I was getting ready to book my tickets to the final four, thinking this is the team uh, that we expected to see. And then, you know, it gets to the second half, and it's the same old uh, nonsense about, you know, not being able to hit shots and absolutely uh, abysmal, porous defense where a, you know, a speedy guard just completely exploits us in, in a man-to-man matchup. So... It's just, it's exasperating and it's frustrating. And, uh, you know, I think we saw it from Rick in his press conference last night, too, that he's, uh, he seems pretty exasperated by it as well. Well, let's listen to Rick Patino right off the bat as he expresses his disappointment in the loss. I don't have much to say. Disappointment would be 
too little a word. We've been trying to, we realize our defense is not great. So we've been trying to pick up our offense. We did a great job in the first half and the second half. Our defense was just very porous. Just by attention to detail. So we're very disappointed. We'll get on with Providence and, and move forward. What you said is important. And we'll talk about Rick in a second. This was trending in the right direction. St. John's had eight three-pointers made in the first half. Jenkins was three of six from deep. Ledlam made a three. Aline hit two threes. RJ Luis was playing like a absolute superstar, like we have said. He was playing like the kind of player that we knew he could be. And even through the frustrations of Luis, he had a few plays that kind of made you grab your head, but he was playing so well. He was scoring at all levels. He was showing you how special he was. And you're right that the Paul game, all those threes, the the emphasis that Patino clearly told the team that you guys got to keep shooting, you know, shooting only 16 threes a game is not going to be good enough. You saw this team come out with a purpose. You know, you saw the team come out and say, we are going to keep this up and we're going to keep firing. And they did so, and they good looks. It was efficient looks. It was smart looks. It was finding the open man. It was making the extra pass. But then Tyler Kolick hits that three, and you go from a 12-point lead to a 9-point lead. And I've said it on this podcast before. I've said it in years past. The psychological difference between 12 points and 9 points at halftime might as well be 20. Double digits, every single coach will tell you, is a huge difference than single digits. And then... The first play out of the break is Tyler Kolick getting a three off St. John's not being able to secure a rebound, and he hits a three. And you cut a 12-point lead into six on two shots. And sure, there's a break in between, but with St. John's, we've said, please show up in the second half how many times, and they just don't. There are so many things that continue to happen, game in and game out, the same exact way. This team has shown who they are over and over again. Rick Pitino is beside himself with the defensive effort. There's only been one or two guys that show up in every single game. It's basically Danish Jenkins and one other guy. Take your pick throughout the, the season. Danish Jenkins is the only one that's been consistent. Period. It's impossible to win like that. And in this second half, because to me, the whole, the whole story of this Marquette game is the second half, just like it was in that first game. You saw a carbon copy of how Marquette beat you. And when you don't adjust and when you do not learn from your past mistakes, that falls on the players and that falls on the coaching staff. And yeah, that means it falls on Rick Patino as well. But even before all that, if we talk about the players, we talk about how the failure continues to happen and how the disappointment continues to happen. It's guys not showing up. Joel Soriano is your captain and your grad senior and your leader. He did not show up in Milwaukee. He is slumping mightily. The 4-1 start to St. John's' Big East season, he was tremendous, averaging almost 17-11. and 11. Since then, he's been averaging, I believe it's like 11-6, and six, and it's even worse than that if you take away one big game. Where is Joel Soriano? This team goes as Joel Soriano and Danish Jenkins combined have taken them. Where is Joel? 10 minutes, only took one shot, four rebounds. No points in the first half. He picked up that technical foul that sent Rick Pitino off his gourd in the press conference. Listen to Rick Pitino and his disappointment and frustration with Joel Soriano. That's because I have a captain who gets a technical foul and I didn't want him to get his third foul for no rhyme or reason. I'm frustrated only because 
he got a technical foul for no rhyme or reason. And then you get second foul. Now you can't start him in the second half. But look, Zuby played well. Had no problem with that. Um, so no, I don't. Right now, I'm just disappointed in our defense. It's been that way uh, for a long time. And, uh, the zone, they came out in the zone and just made wide open shots. They're a good shooting team, and they, you can't let teams shoot that percentage. But played a great first half, did some really good things, but the second half was uh, just a, an abysmal performance defensively. So that was Joel's first half. His second half, he barely plays. He played a, uh, a season low 17 minutes. Where is Joel? You need Joel. I'm sure Joel is very disappointed in himself. I don't think he needs to yahoos on a podcast to tell him that he needs to show up or he needs anybody on a social media to, to be disappointed in him. I'm sure he's disappointed in himself. But Joel Soriano has not asserted himself in some of these games. He has not commanded the ball. He has not gotten himself open in these games. And when you need him the most on the road in a hostile environment against one of the better bigs in the conference, like Oso Iguodaro, Joel was nowhere to be found. And so it's not surprising that St. John's lost because that was just one of the main problems. But Joel Soriano needs to show up over this last stretch of the games. He needs to take this personally. Honestly, Joel Soriano's potential legacy is on the line in a Red Storm uniform if he does not show up over these last six games. Because right now, this season, this is what he has played for. This is why he came back. This is why Rick Pitino brought him back and named him the captain. This is it. Joel Soriano needs to show up. So to put a number on it here, Joel in the uh, the last few games since the four and one start. So starting with the Creighton game through yesterday, only 11 points and eight rebounds per game. And like you said, that's really overstating it because we had those two games in there that we thought were slump busters uh, versus, M uh, versus Villanova at MSG and versus Xavier or at Xavier in the loss there. He had 21-15 at Xavier uh, and 21-9 and versus Villanova. So, you know, if you take those out, it's a a real ugly stretch for the three games before and the three games since um, those two performances for Joel. And I just hate everything I saw from Joel last night. He does not seem to have any energy or any intensity. Uh, he does not seem to want to be out there and making the hustle plays and doing the little things. And he can still be a contributor to this team when he's not making shots. And, you know, it, it looks to me like he doesn't believe that in his own head. And once he starts missing, starts missing shots, he, he's lost out there and he struggles to find ways to contribute and gets in his head. Uh, and, you know, he's admitted that as much himself. So I'm not saying anything revolutionary or anything that he doesn't know or the coaching staff doesn't know. He's just got to find a way to, to be better. You know, on the flip side of that coin, you know, Zuby Edgefor was excellent yesterday. Yep. He's been coming on strong. Sure. And if Joel is going to keep playing like this, then you're going to keep, you know, seeing new career, uh, new season lows in minutes for, uh, for Joel as as Zuby eats his time. Because I think, and the advanced metrics say Zuby is significantly better uh, for this team. That we're significantly better on the floor. You know, some of that is going up against reserve guys versus starters, but it's a a 21 point difference in efficiency rating with Joel. Uh, on the floor versus off the floor and Zuby obviously being the guy taking those minutes when Joel is off the floor. So uh, Zuby has been a huge positive impact for this roster when he's out there. And I think he's got to keep, uh, you know, keep playing the way he is and be prepared to to step in and take those big minutes in these big games down the stretch. Uh, if Joel's not up to the task, Joel's mistake of that technical foul against Oso, where he gave him like a light push. He picks up the T he picks up his second foul. Zuby starts the second half. 
Now, you obviously expect more out of Joel. Patino expects more out of Joel. But you dig yourself into a hole by starting to make these kinds of mistakes. And when you start looking at that, when you start looking at the bad defense by all the St. John's bigs, honestly, in regards to how Tyler Kolick attacked them, where they got absolutely burned on every single switch, you start asking yourself, does St. John's have the pieces to make a run to get themselves to the tournament. Every time they've been close this season, something has happened. Every time they are within striking distance, something has happened. St. John's had a 15-point lead in the first half, and for how bad they played in the second half, a Jordan Dingle 3 did give them a 10-point lead in the second half, even though it was early, but the horrendous defense by Dingle, who was, just to borrow a phrase from Tyler Kolick yesterday, was barbecue chicken on defense the bigs were barbecue chicken jordan dingle was barbecue chicken the entire defense of the second half was barbecue chicken they were a step slow they could not rotate quick enough they allowed three pointers in front of marquette's bench over and over and over again and when that wasn't happening it was tyler kolik getting a handoff at the top of the key making st john switch onto him with either zuby or joel and he absolutely cooked them to the hole. It was over and over and over again to the point where Shaka Smart after the game said that was one of the greatest games Tyler Kolick has ever played at Marquette. He looked like not just the best point guard in the Big East, he looked like one of the best point guards in the country, if not the best point guard in the country. And you saw him do this to you in the first game. It's a carbon yeah. copy. How do you not yep. learn from your mistakes? And to put a, a finer point on that Tyler Kolick discussion, they made 33 field goals as a team, Marquette. Tyler Kolek made 11 of those field goals, and he assisted on 13. He was involved in 24 of 33 made field goals uh, for Marquette. He he was absolutely spectacular. Definitely looked like one of, if not the best point guards in the country last night. You got to tip your cap to him, but at the same token, we could not cover that switch again. We we I thought Zuby did a good job on it the first game. He got limited minutes that game, but I thought Zuby was certainly better than Joel that game. Last night, neither of them could handle that switch. I don't know if Cola got faster over the last month, but uh no, no, no. Know, he, he didn't get faster. I want to play devil's advocate <laughs> you, Frank, but while with this point, two things. Yeah. One, was this a scenario where the coaching staff said Okay, we'll let Tyler Kolick beat us. Don't let anybody else beat us, right? That might be your first point, and that's what I was thinking. Like, okay, is that the mentality? But when he's that effective, when he's involved in the stats that you just mentioned, where he was basically, it was like he was playing um, like on a super cheat code mode in a video game with how effective he like had turbo boosts on every single player that anytime he touches the ball, it got to something positive. And that's a credit to him. That's a credit to his teammates. That's a credit to the scheme. And what it's not a credit to is St. John's inability to adjust to that. Why wasn't there more of a emphasis to take it away? Why doesn't the defense change a little bit? In the postgame, Tyler Kolick said in the first half they were playing the zone and he wasn't really involved as much and he couldn't get going. Then St. John's switches to man and he went barbecue chicken on him. So do you think that St. John's kind of said, all right, we're going to let Tyler beat us, but don't let anybody else beat us. Or do you think that it was just a perfect, you know, kind of storm of St. John's complete inability to play defense 
and Tyler Kolick's amazing, you know, skill. Yeah, obviously it's a combination. I mean, Tyler Kolick is an elite guard and he showed it why last night, but on the same token, you know, we knew how to stifle this. I, I think the same exact thing happened the first game where he had a rough first half and then he came out and cooked us in the second half with the two-man game. You know what they're trying to do. You know what they want to do. Uh, and you know how to stop it. I mean, we we like you said, I mean, Polek saw it. The zone gives him trouble. We saw it in the first game. The zone gave him trouble. And for some reason, we got away from the zone. And I think it's a little bit, you know, a little bit of coaching scared. I think, and I've, I've got a couple data points on that. Uh, and I don't know if it's coaching scared or the players playing scared on the second data point, but you know that that zone defense uh, and not going back to it. I think you know they came out, they hit. You know, Rick said it in the press conference, and I think we'll have the clip to play. But you know, they came out and hit three wide open threes to start the second half, and that was kind of it for the zone. We didn't really get back to the zone in it for any significant amount of time after that. And so I think the coaching staff got a little spooked by those three by those three open threes and and called off the zone rather than you know making the switch or lighting a fire under a guy to to get him to you know recover better or switch better or do whatever he needs to do in that zone to prevent those open threes. Here's Petito on the defense being a problem all season again, rearing its ugly head this game as well. Well, they came out, shot an open three, shot an open three, shot an open three. For no rhyme or reason in the zone, we didn't pay attention to their personnel. Um, it's happened before, um, you know, they did it to all, um, us at, at our place, but when you shoot 55, 56%, 52% from three, I don't care how good you're shooting the ball, you're not going to win. So our defense has hurt us most of the season and uh, tonight was no different. Again, he, he can say that. And I think, you know, he's frustrated because he wants to play man and, and be an, uh, you know, an elite team and to be a really good team, you got to be good at both. Uh, but unfortunately, I just do not think we have the personnel for it. Um, we can't be switching with our bigs. Um, maybe Zuby against a, a lesser guard, but certainly not against Tyler Kolek. Uh, and, you know, we've been really good in the zone all year. Like, it's been the best defense all year. It's been painfully obvious. And I don't know why we constantly get away from it in, in key spots. So, you know, for my money, that is was a little bit coaching spooked. And I think the other thing, this might be more on the players getting spooked. We had 33 point attempts at the under eight time out. We took two more three point attempts in the last wow. eight minutes of the game. That is criminal. They came out, they were a little cold to start the second half, certainly not as hot as the first half, but they still hit four or 12 uh, at that UA timeout. So they were still shooting 33%. And they got away from it and only, only took two more attempts and, and missed them both. One of them was, you know, the last possession when it was already or second to last possession, whatever, when it was already uh, out of hand. So, you know, it's it just, it, it doesn't make sense sometimes what they're doing. And I don't know if Rick told them to stop shooting in the huddles or if they just didn't no want way. to shoot it themselves after they got spooked. I can't imagine Rick would get away from it. Yeah. He's, you know, he's said it all year and, and has been particularly the last two hot games. on it. Yeah. yeah particularly yeah. hot on it. The last two games. So I just don't get why there was not any three point shots where there's only two, two attempts and really just one attempt when the game was still in hand that attempt was a uh not even a good one it was an rj louise pull up on a fast break that that bricked so it just it's frustrating because you know it seems like the formula is there and that formula worked in the first half and then we got away from the two biggest points that made it work but so you know the, the formula right it, it's it's doing the little things to to get over the hump. We've heard Danis Jenkins talk about this. You've heard Rick Patino talk about this, that they need to do the small things to get over the hump. You know, getting that three-pointer to fall has been a, a big change. But the little things like 
unlucky turnovers or not getting a rebound is humongous. And coincidentally, you know, moments like that have turned into turning points in the games. And again, the second half for the for as bad as the defense was, for it was a close game, except it felt like once Marquette took a two-point lead or a four-point lead, that it felt like 10. Around the nine-minute mark, St. John's missed a few three-point attempts and Marquette threw one up and missed. St. John's couldn't secure the rebound. You know, I talked about that first play of the second half where Kolek hit a three off of a rebound that Ledlam couldn't make. Well, around the nine-minute mark, something similar happened where St. John's couldn't secure a rebound. Ben Gold volleyball served the ball back to Kolek, who finds a wide-open Chase Ross to hit a three, and it's 67-65. The game stayed close, but you had these moments where St. John's could try to get up by two, four, six, and you just couldn't make that one play because it was either a rebound or it was a a turnover like where Jordan Dingle threw uh, an errant pass that went the other way. That was Stevie Mitchell who hit the layup, made it 73 to 69, and it just felt like a death blow that we've seen over and over by St. John's. Two-point leads felt like 10, and in a road environment it's just it's so tough and literally shortly thereafter it's 75 73 so again the game is close it's it's not like the game's over it's 75 73 st john's gets marquette to miss and yet a point blank layup from the misses to try to tie the game it felt like instead of a big three as the dagger it was a self-inflicted dagger it was taking the yep. knife and stabbing yourself in the heart. And of course, it goes the other way. Kolek gets a handle from Oso. St. John switches Luis off of Kolek, and Soriano ends up on him. Kolek blows by for a layup at 77-73. You might as well call the game right there. Ledlam missed the bunny layup on the other way. Oso hits the layup over Jenkins. Timeout. I mean, that Aline miss was absolutely egregious. Yeah. He was he was wide open. He was unguarded under the basket and you know, put the bunny over the hoop. And it, it just it it's flabbergasting that. You know, the little things like that just can't go our way at all this year. And it's, uh, you know, it's incredibly frustrating, but he makes that. It's a whole different game now. Yeah. It's 75-75 with three and a half to go. And, you know, you're right there in it. Instead, like you said, it goes the other way. And, and now it's it's suddenly become yeah. insurmountable for us anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, everything is hindsight. You know, hindsight in 2020, like, did St. John's lose because the, the layup didn't hit? No, but he hits the layup. It could be a very different game. Does the defense kind of set differently? You know. They don't get a potential easy basket the other way. Uh, one or two of these 50-50 rebounds, like this is what the coaches talk about, right? The 50-50 rebounds, if they go your way, one or two go your way, it changes the whole outcome of the game. It's frustrating and, you know, there's no easy answer at some point. Yeah. You know, we've we've talked about Rick and the, and the coaching, uh, particularly the defense. That's got to be, uh, you know, we need to be playing the zone consistently and, and most often and then, you know, at some point, though, players got to hit shots. I mean, you know, 28 points in the second half. They weren't playing, you know, they're they're a very good defensive team. We talked about that in the preview spaces. But, you know, a lot of those looks were were makeable looks that we didn't finish like the Aline layup and, and plenty of others that hit that half. So at some point, at some level, they need to start, the players need to start hitting those shots. I mean, Joe missed a bunch of bunnies, the Aline bunny, Ledlam missed yeah. a couple of bunnies. So you know, it's just, it's frustrating. It is frustrating. I think that's, you know, I think I've said before, that's the nicest F word you could use to describe this team. Naheem Aline, I thought overall played pretty well, 12 points. He was four of nine from the floor. All four of those were three pointers and all those three pointers felt uh, pretty good. A few of them in the second half were, were friendly rim bounces that went into, I thought he played well. I thought RJ Lewis was 
really good in the first half. He didn't do anything in the second half. I don't know why he wasn't more active and more involved. He was 6'11 from the floor. I thought he played really well in 28 minutes. So you're seeing his minutes kind of go up as well. Danis Jenkins, I, I mean... He's he is the straw that stirs the, the drink here for St. John's. He went nine and nineteen from the floor, hit four three pointers, twenty-two points, six rebounds. He had six assists. He only had one turnover. He's been uh, he's been phenomenal. Lashaka Smart called him one of the best guards in the country after the game. Where I have a big problem is Jordan Dingle and Joel Soriano combined going three of twelve from the floor, going two of seven from three. That's Jordan Dingle. Jordan Diggle got absolutely cooked on defense. He was in wrong spots all game. Tyler Kolick took him off the dribble. He took Joel off the dribble. Nobody could stop Tyler Kolick, but Jordan was in the wrong spot often. He played horrendously. And St. John's is looking for an answer at that two guard. They really are. And I thought Naheem played much better in that spot, but Jordan played 21 minutes. Uh, he was he was a liability yesterday. St. John's is desperately looking for somebody to score next to Danis. And right now, it's going to be either RJ or it's going to be Naheem because Dingle is, we thought that DePaul game was the get right game for Jordan. And he was firing those threes, continuing that habit, which is fine, but he was turning the ball over. He had three turnovers. He was a minus six on the plus minus. It is rough. St. John's is looking for answers and they simply don't have it. You know, Glenn Taylor played three minutes, didn't do anything. Sean Conway played nine minutes. He had two points. Drew Traore even got a bucket, but like, no Brady Dunlap in this game. Simeon Wilcher sits the entire game for the second time in three games. You know, you kind of look at the rotations. You kind of look at what's going on. You're looking for answers. And you know, your freshmen aren't getting any burn. End of your bench is not contributing. You know, Len Taylor, Sean Conway, Dresa Traore play about 20 minutes and give you a total of four points and nothing else really in the stat sheets. You're looking for answers. And St. John's doesn't have a lot of time to find the freaking answers. For sure. And I, I think another one that was disappointing for me, Chris Ledlam. I mean, you know, you're, you're not a great three point shooter. He jacked up five. A couple of those were just poor decisions. You know, he he's a very good defender. Uh, he always plays pretty consistently on that end and, and with pretty good energy all the time. So, uh, you know, I don't want to be too hard on him, but he's got to be better about uh, about his shot selection than, than he was yesterday. You know, and like I said, they got away from the three pointer down the stretch. I mean, Jenkins was hot again, four nine. Uh, you know, he, he should have been getting a couple of those attempts later and, and, you know, credit to Shaka. He definitely, you know, was trying to keep the ball out of Joel, uh, out of Danis's hands when, when Danis gave it up or when somebody else brought the ball up the floor. So uh, that was definitely a, a point of emphasis for them, but, you know, you got to find a way and that's, you know, partially on Danis, partially on the coaching staff um, to find ways to get him good looks from, from deep down the stretch when, when they were starting to pull away. There's just not a lot, not a lot of positives and, and not a lot of good things yeah. to say about this game though. And so the rest of your season is now on the line. It starts on Tuesday in Providence. And the AMP is a very tough place to play. Providence rarely loses there. And St. John simply has to win. It, there is no two ways about it. This is a must-win scenario for St. John's. They are 14 and 10. They are 6 and 7 in the conference. Providence is 15 and 9, 6 and 7 in the conference. The middle is very bunched up in this Big East Conference, and St. John's already beat Providence once, and they're going to have to do what they did to Villanova, and that's back it up and try to sweep them. Now, Providence is beaten up. Don't have Bryce Hopkins. Do you learn from your mistakes in the first game where it was tight, and you let Devin Carter put on a freaking show? Devin Carter had 31 points in that first game. 
what are you going to do in this game to neutralize him? Josh Odoro just had a baby. He did not play in their game on Saturday, which ended up being a loss to Butler. It was a close loss, 75-72. So even then, on the road, they fought tough. St. John's needs a win. And their entire season is coming to a heed. You are running out of runway. That's what Frank said last episode. Well, you just ran out of a few more feet of runway. You got at Providence, Seton Hall, Georgetown on the road, Creighton at the Garden, at Butler, at DePaul versus Georgetown. That's the rest of your season right there. That's seven games. You've got seven games left. You have to win Providence, Seton Hall, and Butler, or you steal that Creighton game at the Garden, along with obviously Georgetown and DePaul. You got to get to 19 minimum. 19 minimum is your number at this point, and it's time to figure it out. You need to get some of these tough wins. At Providence on Tuesday is a must-win situation for St. John's. Absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, you, you got to win the home games. We have a path here to get to 19 wins by, you know, beating the bottom barrel teams in the conference and winning two home games. That's a, entirely reasonable. A home game against Seton Hall team that, you know, you should be hungry for revenge with. Uh, after what they did to you in Newark, and then you know that just lost they, by twenty six points to Villanova today. Oof, that is that is rough. Uh, and then you know you've got uh, a home date with Creighton again, a team you probably want revenge on. You got hosed by the refs out in Omaha, and now you get them in the Garden. You almost beat them in Omaha. Get out there, do it again, and actually finish it this time because you're on your home court. Um, you know that's probably the easiest path, but you know. If you can get a road win in the dunk or Hinkle, both places that have been houses of horrors for St. John's teams and and many a visiting team over the years, uh, even better. But you, you got to get to that 19 number, uh, and you got to win at least one of these these next two. Otherwise, you know, I, I think you can kiss the season goodbye. That's that's where we're at. After the game, you know, it got a little testy in the post game press conference. Roger Rubin asked. Rick Patino about the disappointment so far on the season of so many close games and not being able to get over the hump. And you know, Rick Patino was disappointed. He obviously is disappointed after a loss, but he is harping on the fact that this coaching staff is trying to build a program and this team is not good enough defensively. And uh, take a listen to what Patino said in response to friend of the program, Roger Rubin, who writes for Newsday. Well, that's what happens in the first year when you're not a disciplined defensive team. That's what happens. It's not going to happen, Roger, in the first year. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry. It's not. We'll play hard. You'll see some displays of, of brilliance at times, but it's not going to happen. Because unless you have a mindset of guarding people on every single possession, it's not going to happen. That's not the mindset that they have. So we're improving offensively, but defensively we still have the same problems. So it's, um, it is what it is. It's the first year where... We're building a program, and you got to build the program on defense. So, Frank, you're saying you don't think that this is going to be an NCAA team? Did I just say that? You said it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen overnight, the defense. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so St. John's season is coming to a close. There are seven games left. Tuesday against Providence. You know, we've unfortunately been in too many of these potential must-win situations, but it's February, and it's it feels like this is the time. And... I would say as of right now, this season has been a disappointment thus far. I don't blame fans for being skeptical if this team can get some of these important wins. Now, look, you've beaten Providence already. You've beaten Butler already. You pounded DePaul, and you have to beat Georgetown twice. 
you went toe to toe against Creighton and the Seton Hall game, you have to prove that it's an anomaly on your home court. That's just the reality of the situation. Otherwise, you're going to be a team that doesn't deserve to get in. You control your fate. You control your destiny. Time to win some games. Time to play defense the way your coaching staff wants you to. It's time for guys to all step up. Joel Soriano, you need to come back. Jordan Dingle, you can't just do it against DePaul. RJ Luis, let's keep it going. What happened in this game? Because I thought he was really excellent. The Hamelin's three-point shooting is very much needed. Guys got to show up. You got to show up on Tuesday at Providence. Quick turnaround for St. John's as they look to get the ship righted. For Frank Wolfhead, I'm David Barrow. Thank you for listening. Johnny Nation, we'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the Eye on the Storm podcast. Go Johnny's.